I've had uh, family in New Mexico since the late 1800s, early 1900s. My oh, wow. great-grandparents homesteaded in Mills, New Mexico, which is near Roy. So as as we joke in New Mexico, obviously there's people been in New Mexico for thousands of years. So my family's been here for a little more than 100 years. So I'm almost considered a local. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, New Mexico. James Pittman here with another edition of the New Mexico Wildlife Podcast. Today we have Eric Fry from the Fisheries Management Division of Game and Fish joining us today. Eric, thanks for being here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, James. So, Eric, before we dive into the sport fish program and all things ice fishing in New Mexico, let's get to know a little bit more about you. So how, how long have you been on with the department? Uh, I started with the department in 1999, so this winter would be 22 years. Oh wow, wow, that's that's uh, quite a while with this agency. It is. It's been uh, it's been a, a long career, but an enjoyable one. Well, and so what all um, what all different positions have you held during that time? So I started with the department as a district wildlife officer in Las Cruces. Um, and I did that for a couple of years, but ultimately when I came in the department, I really, fisheries is, is kind of my passion. So, um, after a couple of years of the department, the Northeast area fisheries manager in Raton opened up and I was promoted to that position in uh, 2001 and served in that position for about 12 years. And then in 2013, I was promoted into my current position, which is the sport fish program manager. So a lot of different, a lot of different uh, experience and and different positions during that twenty two years. Yeah, it has been. Um, and then, of course, being in the area office in Raton, um, you get several experiences. You know, obviously, my focus was fisheries, but uh, served as a law enforcement officer for more than twenty years. So helped with different law enforcement cases, and then help with big game surveys, um, just kind of a little bit of everything, all, kind of all the facets the department does. Is, it, I really enjoyed being in the area office. And then uh, prior to the department, where, where did you uh, where did you go to school? Uh, so I, I graduated at Eastern New Mexico University in 1998 with a bachelor's in fisheries and wildlife sciences. Um, and then before that, I went to Raton High School. I was born and raised in Raton. Okay. Wow. So you're uh, you're from New Mexico originally, then? I am. Yep. Born and raised. And has your family been here for a while? So they have, relatively speaking. Um, I've had uh, family in New Mexico since the late 1800s, early 1900s. My oh, wow. great grandparents homesteaded in Mills, New Mexico, which is near Roy. So as 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 we joke in New Mexico, obviously there's people been in New Mexico for thousands of years, so. My family's been here for a little more than 100 years, so I'm almost considered a local. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's awesome. That's a, that's a pretty uh, rich history and a deep connection to the state, so that's that's pretty cool. It is, yeah. And, of course, growing up fishing and, you know, you have, you have, is where I grew my passion for, for the fisheries. And I, it, it's really nice to uh, work and serve in a job that protects and manages the fisheries that you grew up, you know, learning to love to fish for. Yeah, for sure. I, I bet. So your current title is, is a sport fish program manager. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that program and, and, and what it does? Sure. So we have in our research and management uh, section in, in fisheries management division within the department, we've, we've got the native fish program, the AIS or Aquatic Invasive Species Program, and then the Sport Fish Program. In the Sport Fish Program, we manage all all the recreational fish uh, fish species throughout the state. So these are the ones that people like to catch. Um, the program that I oversee, we we manage things like the black bass, the walleye, you know, sunfish, bluegill, the catfish, um, and then the non-native trout, the brown trout, rainbow trout, lake lake trout. Um, we manage the salmon fisheries, crappie, tiger, muskie, kind of the whole gamut of you know, these are all the species that people like to go fish for. Yeah, yeah, that's quite a lot. So, so to get that done, how how is the program structured? Is it divided into to different sections or anything? It is. So within the program, we have a warm water team, 
and a cold water team. And of course, the warm water team, just as the name implies, they manage things like the black bass, the walleye, the catfish is their main focus. And then the cold water team manage the trout, the salmon, and, and they actually manage the tiger muskie because we use tiger muskie as a tool to control um, uh, unwanted species or nuisance species like suckers so the, that impact our trout fisheries. But So they're divided in two different teams, and, of course, those teams work statewide. We have you know, warm water species all the way to the northern Colorado border at Navajo Lake, all the way to, you know, southern New Mexico and Bill Evans. And um, same thing with the trout. We stock trout during the winter time. We stock them down even in Jowl, New Mexico. And, of course, we have trout all the way to the, the northern headwater mountains of all the streams. So pretty much statewide. They do. They work statewide. And, of course, they work – those teams are, are divided. We have about 10 people, including myself, in the, in the program. So you can imagine there's a lot of responsibility statewide. So we all work together, um, even with their own, you know, areas of responsibility, but we work cohesively on different projects. For sure. For sure. And, and in terms of managing those species, what, what are the primary responsibilities involved that, that y'all are working with? Sure. So we, we do, there's some of the main stuff we do. We do the, the, uh, population monitoring, so we go out and do surveys and we, you know, monitor how many there are and, and the health of those fisheries. Um, we make uh, recommendations for stocking and then we analyze our stocking strategies. So, you know, we, we work with the hatcheries to set stocking schedules and then, and then our biologists go out and they, they do different surveys and research projects to see how those stocking strategies are working. Um, you know, we, we stock a whole bunch of different sizes of fish and species of fish. Um, so everything from little guys that are two eyes and a wiggle, as we say, the little fry all the way to adult fish. So those different strategies are set for different lakes. So those, the biologists do research projects to see, to make sure those fish are what we call returning to krill or available to the angler. Okay. Um, we make the recommendations for angling regulations, you know, the bag limits and size limits. Um, and then we do quite a bit of stream uh, habitat and lake habitat improvements and monitoring. And then we also monitor angler use and harvest and satisfaction. We occasionally do online surveys or we actually do on the, on the ground krill surveys where we interview anglers, you know, what they're catching, how many they're catching, how satisfied they are with the fishery. So in a nutshell, that's kind of the main area of responsibilities that, that the program does. Now that's, that's a lot for 10 people. It, it is. And then several things in between, you know, we, we, we investigate fish kills and we do pond inspections and there's a whole other gamut of things that we do, or, but those are kind of the main things to do. And it is, it's a lot for, for 10 folks, especially statewide. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Well, so you had mentioned um, research projects and, and monitoring tasks. Uh, can you tell us about any specific projects that you have going on now or, or that have happened recently? Yeah, sure. So what, What's really near and dear to my heart is the habitat improvement. In the last probably decade, the department uh, has completed several large-scale stream habitat projects. Um, some of the anglers may have seen those, and these are, you know, we're installing rocks and creating pools and adding woody debris to diversify the habitat in the streams. But these are places like the Los Pinos. We just completed one on the Rio Chama this last winter. Um, we've done a bunch on the San Juan and the Red River and Pecos and um, and then recently we started uh, diving into doing lake habitat projects, and we just completed one at Bill Evans Lake to help uh, bass habitat. And we're actually going to start working with the city of Carlsbad to work on a project down in Carlsbad Municipal Lake in Bataan. So uh, we spent quite a bit of effort and money improving habitat. Um, some of the things we do, I mentioned the stocking assessments. Uh, one of our warm water biologists is actually we're stocking juvenile catfish in several lakes across the state. Um, and basically we're stocking them smaller because it, we can stock more and it's, you know, cost effective and to let the lake grow versus us growing in a hatchery. So one of the biologists was actually freeze branding fish. Um, and so it's a way of marking them so we can stock them and then come later and, and capture them with, with net, nets and see which ones and when we stock them. So it's kind of a neat, creative approach to marking fish. Um, was so actually do, branding them. Yeah, we're actually branding them using uh, liquid nitrogen with a with a different shape of a, a branding iron. So you put the fish on there for a couple of seconds. Um, you anesthetize them with a tranquilizing 
agent and then do a short freeze branding similar to what you do if you went to the doctor and got got like uh like a skin cancer or something burnt off it's the same same approach but we're able to use different uh different shapes of branding iron so when we put a fish in we know exactly when that fish was stocked you know after three or four years when we come back later and recapture them so wait wait, um, wait so there's there's actually you actually call it a branding iron like you're branding cattle it it is yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so it's a pretty creative approach that one of our biologists came up with to, to be able to mark fish there's a bunch of different methods um but that one was cost effective and 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 we're not just marking one or two fish. We're, we're marking tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, by the time the research project's done. So you need a way to, to mark thousands of fish a day in a you know, quick and relatively you know, cost-effective manner. So that he came up with that was kind of neat. <laughs> does that only work on certain species? It, it, it does. It, it works really well. Uh, catfish, or, you know, they don't have scales like a lot of fish. They're, they're a little uh, different. Um, some of the scaled fish, uh, like trout or bass, it doesn't work as well because they can actually shed those scales where the brand is placed. And and it's not as easy to detect. But fish like catfish that have skin, it works really well. Huh. huh. And, and so if an angler catches a catfish that's been branded, they can actually tell? They they might if they know what they're looking for. It actually what it does is it it, it puts we we're marking them on their belly, so freeze browning them on their belly, and it actually makes a a, a a different pigment, so they'll be darker. So if you don't know what you're looking for, you probably wouldn't see it or notice it, but if you know what you're looking for, you would see like one of those shapes we used was a chevron, uh you know like an upside down V shape. And you'd see a, a darker V on its on its belly. If you didn't know what you're looking for, you may not see it. But um, if you if you knew it was there, or knew what to look for, you could definitely tell the difference. You know, we do a lot of those. Uh, obviously, we stock um, a ton of fish. I think this year so far, the department stocked a little over six million fish. Wow. So um, so we just don't want to throw the fish out in the water and then you know hope for the best. So we spend quite a bit of time. Uh, analyzing those stocking strategies and you know we stock everything from walleye to bass to to kokanee salmon i think last year looking on on the schedule or for 2020 we stocked about nine different species um and again a little more than six million fish so you can imagine that's it's quite an investment we want to make sure that investment's coming back to the anglers yeah for sure six million that's that's kind of wild it's a lot of fish yeah (laughs) so again a lot a lot going on for uh for just 10 people. It is. Yeah. There, there's never a dull moment. <laughs> so you kind of talked about, um, fish stocking and, and trout stocking. And so that kind of transitions into, um, kind of our next topic, which we were going to talk about uh, ice fishing. And, and I, I wanted to do that cause I heard that's something that, that you really enjoy doing. It is. And it, as a matter of fact, when we talked last week about doing the podcast, I got so excited about it. And then we had the cold weather with a little bit of snow this weekend. I went in my garage and started pulling up my ice fishing stuff and going through it <laughs> to get it ready. So <laughs> That's awesome. Well, so that's not really something that you immediately think of when you think of New Mexico. No, you don't. And, and you know, unless you you're a, an experienced angler with New Mexico and, and those folks obviously know there's ice fishing opportunities, but you know, one of the other things that, that we do in our program that our biologists and technicians, we, we talk to thousands of anglers every year, you know, we answer questions about fishing and different uh, species and stocking, just some of the, you know, public interface that we do. But one of the things when you talk to people about uh, ice fishing that are not from New Mexico, they're really surprised of, you know, the opportunities. And we actually have some really cool opportunities for, for a state, which people think it's just kind of a warm desert, which it's, it's not, it's a pretty diverse state, you know, and so are our fisheries. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, so, so obviously I would think it would be restricted to the Northern part of the state, but, but what are, what are the, some of those popular locations uh, that people ice fish at? Sure. Um, probably the, Kind of the main or most popular ones are, are places like Eagle Nest Lake, obviously. Um, Sugar Eat Canyon State Park has a couple lakes, Lake Malloy and Lake Alice, that are really popular. Um, people ice fish at Cabresto, Hopewell Lake. Uh, Fitton Lake has become really popular the last few years. 
And then occasionally Heron Lake or Heron Reservoir will freeze over. It doesn't freeze over every year, but um, on occasion it does and offers some ice fishing opportunities. And really you can ice fish anywhere where the ice is safe enough and it, and there's not any kind of restrictions for ice fishing. Um, but, but you're right. Most of those are in the Northern part of the state. So two things there, how can you tell that, the that ice is, is safe enough to, uh, to ice fish on? So, and, and that's a great question. Um, and it all depends on who you ask, <laughs> but ice is kind of one of those funny things. It, it, um, it can be an inch thick and be extremely safe as long as it's clear ice and doesn't have any air bubbles in it or, you know, vice versa. You could have ice that's two foot, two foot thick and be full of air bubbles and not be safe at all. Um, so generally myself, if I'm going to an area that's outside of some of the state parks, places like Eagle Nest Lake and uh, Lake Malloy, the state parks does a really good job about monitoring the ice and then okay. opening and closing it. And usually they look for about nine inches of ice, six to nine inches of ice is what they're looking for. Oh, wow. Um, so if I'm going to an area that's outside of the state parks, places, um, you know, like Cabresto, I, myself personally, if it's, if it's not any thicker than, you know, three inches or, or more, I, I won't go out on it. And especially if it's not clear, nice, clear ice. Um, and again, it, it depends on who you ask some people, take a bigger risk and go out on thinner ice. I don't like to do that, but three to four inches of nice clear ice is usually generally pretty good to, to ice fish on. Um, and of course it all depends how much gear you have. I wouldn't drive a vehicle on that or an ATV or if there's a bunch of people on the lake that that can change. It all depends on the weight. But um, okay. like I said, I, I believe state parks uses, uses nine inches, which is a really good safe thickness as long as it's really good ice and not full air bubbles. Okay. So the, so the state parks would, release information on hey it's it's safe it's open now um but other places you would have to kind of judge that yourself and and you're looking at thickness and and clarity you do exactly yep yeah if it's if it's real opaque and you can tell and that's when i say air bubbles you can see ice that is white or opaque it has a lot of air bubbles in it and obviously those air bubbles are spaces and it's not you know it doesn't have nice solid ice ice that is clear real crystal clear doesn't have any air bubbles, so that's solid frozen water. So it's going to be a lot stabler, a lot stronger ice. Okay, okay. And you had mentioned that some, there are some lakes that are closed to ice fishing, even if the ice is very thick. Yeah, that, there, that we have a couple in that um, are open gate properties, and it's actually in our regulations that you cannot ice fish. And and two of those are Monastery Lake and Springer Lake. Okay. Um and and obviously, information on some of those closures, if you're interested, if a, if a lake is open or not, the, your best source of information is either call our hotline or look in the fishing rules and information booklet. There's a section under uh, water-specific regulations that have that, that has that information. Okay. All right. Well, well, so it sounds like there are a lot of different opportunities, different lakes where it, where it is possible to ice fish. Um, so what... What kind? Of, what species are you mainly catching when you're ice fishing in New Mexico? So traditionally in New Mexico, it's going to be the the trout and salmon are your your two main species um, that you're after. The one thing that's changed a little bit, like a lot of the other states, if you go, you know, Wisconsin and Minnesota, they're more popular for walleye and perch and and, and those type of species. But what, what I like to go for. Um, one of my favorite places is Eagle Nest Lake just because it has a diversity of fisheries. Um, you know, we'll, we'll go catch rainbow trout. It's a great rainbow trout fishery, but one of my favorite things to do is go catch yellow perch. Um, so New Mexico has a few diverse fisheries that you could fish for, but overall, generally speaking, it's going to be trout when you're ice fishing in New Mexico is going to be the species you're after. Okay. Okay. Well, so now we know a little bit about where to go and what we're after, but for somebody like me, who's never been ice fishing and, and wants to try it or somebody that wants to, you know, get their kids out and, and uh, have, have a new experience with them. What, what are some of the, the first things you should do in preparing to start ice fishing? So um, the first thing I would do is, is, you know, pick a species you're going after because that's going to de- determine um, obviously your location 
It's going to determine the type of tackle that you're going to take. Um, the one thing that's kind of cool about ice fishing, it's become a pretty popular uh, winter activity for folks, um, especially in the western states. And if you Google it or get on any of the outdoor suppliers, it, it's going to be overwhelming, and that's the only bad part about it. It's kind of um, – it's almost like fly fishing was 15 or so years ago. This It's really exploded. So it can be a little intimidating when you're getting into it. Um, but, again, the, the first thing you do is, is pick the location you're going to go to. Um, and if you're if you're new to it and you're you know you're you're not so sure about the safety of the ice and some of those other things, I would probably pick a location that's on a state park because you know that they're monitoring the ice. Um, again, places like Eagle Nest, Lake Malloy, and Fenton Lake are, are are good places to go as a beginner. Okay. Um, but once you pick the species, like I said, that's gonna that's gonna help determine your tackle. Um, you know, and 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 the depth you're going to fish at and, and all those different things. Um, and of course the location. So once you pick a species and if you're going to go for trout, again, Eagle Nest and, and Sugar Creek Canyon that has Lake Malloy and Lake Alice and Fenton are all great places because we stock, we stock quite a few trout in there. They're, they're really good trout population. So it's a great place to go catch trout through the ice. Okay. Well, so you, you brought up a couple of things I hadn't even thought of before. So, so it, you're going to be fishing at different depths for different species. You you are, and um, and different times of year. So I talked a little bit about yellow perch and eagle nest. Um, yellow perch just just based on some of their life history and, and some of their seasonal movements is uh, in the fall through late summer and fall they start moving out in, into deeper water, um, and then through the winter, they're going to be out in deeper water. They're going to be in 30 to 50 feet of water. And then through the spring, so later in your ice fishing, so in the middle of ice fishing season that you want to, you want to fish in really deep water, you know, that 30, 40, 50 foot of water. Okay. And then later in the ice fishing season, sometimes Eagle Nest Lake, you can fish into, into early April if it's, if it's a really cold winter, but they'll start moving into the shallows because they actually spawn in the spring and they spawn along the shoreline. So they'll start, they'll start transitioning into shallower water. So, and then with trout, it depends on, you know, water quality and kind of where their food is at that time. Um, sometimes trout, you can catch them within a couple feet of the shore. They're, they're in a couple feet of water, but sometimes they're out to 20 or 30 feet of water. So um, generally speaking, trout are more what we call the littoral zone. They're, they're closer to shore where again, like I was talking about the perch, you know, they can be, out in the middle of the lake and and that all makes it you know depends on how successful you are if you went to fish for yellow perch and eagle nest and you're fishing on the shoreline in the middle of winter and you're not catching anything you're going to see people walking with their you know with their limits from way out in the middle of the lake and it can be frustrating so i think some of that is picking the right location and then in the right depth and like a lot of fish fishing is not being afraid to try different locations sure and the technique that always works well for for a beginner is, is is hook up with somebody that is an experienced ice angler and take you out or use what a lot of anglers do is you get out of the ice and you start watching your fellow anglers and see who's catching them and, and you try to spy on them to see how they're catching them and where they're catching them. You know, so don't be afraid if you're going out to a lake that's pretty popular and there's several anglers. Is if you're right against the shore and nobody's catching them but you're looking out, you know, out further in the lake, it's like, wow, those those folks are really catching them. Maybe I need to move out there. So, so you kind of <laughs> learn as the, you go. The, you learn as you go and use the neighbor technique, yeah. Sure. Okay, and then one of the other things you talked about there, um, in addition to different depths, was um, different different baits. So is it um, mainly live bait, artificial bait? What are you mainly using in, uh, so, in ice fishing? So generally, um, it, 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 like a lot of fishing, you can actually you can fish with uh, pure artificial stuff, um, or you can use bait. If I'm if I'm gonna go after trout, I'll uh, I'll generally use bait. And, and the stuff you use in the summertime usually works just as well. So you're you know some of the the dough ball baits, the power baits, um, and then you know the the salmon eggs uh, and corn and that kind of stuff that you generally would use during the summertime for trout. You can use it in the wintertime. Um, the terminal tackle for, for just using regular bait, organic bait is going to be, uh, 
you know, I figured you're going to use like a snail trout hook um, with some type of weight to get it down. If you're using artificial stuff, you'd be using some of the little ice fishing jigs that they sell. Um, and they make a whole bunch of different ones. Uh, you know, there's there's this, like Swedish pimples and needlefish and just the little ice fishing jigs. There's a whole whole slew of different artificial jigs you can use. And those, all those work really well for trout. If you're going after something like yellow perch at, at Eagle Nest, I would use um, the small ice fishing jigs, but then I'd also use more of live bait like worms or wax worms or maggots or mealworms, that kind of stuff. Okay. Okay, so you can use... You can use live bait. You can use some of the baits you use in the summer, but there are specific ice fishing jigs. There are, yep. And, and almost all the tackle supply stores have them. Um, they're, they're generally smaller. They're usually like real fluorescent colors. Some of them glow in the dark. Um, if, you, if you Google ice fishing jigs, there's, there's a whole ton of them. They're all, um, you know, like I said, they're different colors. They're usually pretty bright organic they're usually single hook there are some that look more like uh, i think rapala makes some that look like little fish that you can actually jig without any kind of bait on them and, and catch fish that way too so so what other kind of equipment can you um i guess carry over from your summer fishing or is it all very specific equipment that you'll have to buy specifically for ice fishing so there's a couple things you'll need to get just for ice fishing but Again, if you start, if you're new to it and you start looking around, it, it's going to be overwhelming. But the, I wouldn't try not to get overwhelmed because there's a lot of the stuff you use in the summer you can take into, you know, take with you for ice fishing. Um, there's things like, you know, they obviously make ice fishing rods and they make a whole bunch of different gear, but really you can use a light or medium action rod for most of the trout fisheries. You know, something you'd use, a regular spinning rod that you would use in the summer, you can still use that for ice fishing. And if I was new to the sport, that's where I would start before you invest a ton of money in different ice fishing rods. But, you know, so you're a lot of the terminal tackle you're using the summers, the sinkers and the snow bait hooks, that kind of stuff you can use. Um, but some of the stuff that you'll need just for ice fishing is obviously you need a way to make a hole in the ice. So you'll need to get a, an ice auger, um, and then after you drill the hole, you're going to need an ice scoop to get the ice chips out of the hole. Um, but other than that, there's to just start getting an ice auger and an ice scoop and your, your regular spinning rod you're using is, is a good way to start if you're a beginner. Um, there's obviously a, a ton of different other gear that as you get more experience, you'll, you could purchase. You know, they make special ice fishing rods that are that are shorter. Um, they even make uh, ice fishing mono special monofilament line that's more supple, so it doesn't it's not as uh, doesn't get as stiff when it gets real cold and freezes. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, they, they it's kind of like the fly fishing rule. They've really there's a ton of gear, which is good, but it can again it can be really overwhelming if you're a beginner. Um, but Again, if you're starting out, that's what I would use is just use your, your rod and reel that you use in the summertime. Um, and then, you know, some of the baits are the same, especially for trout. Uh, obviously, you're going to need a bucket or chair or something to sit on it so you're not sitting or standing on the ice all day. Um, but, and, and I guess a little bit about the, the augers, and I there's a couple different types of augers um, that you can get. Um there's the hand augers and those are anywhere from 50 to a hundred dollars, depending you know where you purchase it from. And they're, they're uh, manual powered, <laughs> but it's a good way to get the blood pumping in the morning is, <laughs> is drilling holes. And, and I still, I, I love ice fishing and that's what I use. I still use the manual ice, uh, ice auger. Okay. So it is doable. Blades, oh yeah, it's definitely doable. And if, if you keep the blade sharp or replace the blades every couple of years, it, you know, it, it, it's not that bad to drill holes. Sometimes when it gets your eagle nest and there's three feet of ice, it can definitely, definitely uh, be a little exhausting, but it's not terrible. You know, as you get into it, they, they make gas-powered and electric-powered augers um, that are that are really nice. Um, you just have to weigh the benefits. Obviously, the, they're going to be a lot more expensive and a lot heavier if you're if you're not using an ATV to get out on the ice. You're going to have to you know drag those, but 
the, the good news is if you want to move or drill more holes, it gets a lot quicker. So, but as a beginner, if you're, you know, if you're looking at, at some of the costs, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get too crazy and purchase a bunch of those kind of luxury items. I would start as simple as possible. And then, you know, as you enjoy it, work your way up and see what you need and not need. Okay. Okay. So, sounds good. And then, um, basically using some of your equipment that you use in the summer, getting a hand auger, um, you said you'd need a seat or a, a bucket or something to, uh, to sit on. Um, what about, I mean, you see online or, or in other states where, where people ice fish and they have these ice fishing shacks and, and they're all bundled up and that kind of thing. What, what are some of the, um, I guess, clothing requirements and then are things like ice fishing shacks used in New Mexico? Uh, they are, and I I have one. Um, they're really nice if um, if the weather turns bad, and and it's New Mexico, so the wind's always going to blow. <laughs> so, and in places, obviously, it's it's during the winter, and you get a little bit of wind, and the wind the wind chill factor is going to make a, a big difference when you have a little bit of wind. So they are nice um, because you can get in them and get out of the the wind. Um, and if you go to places like Eagle Nest and Fitton, you're going to see a bunch of them on the ice. They're, they're not, you know, you don't have to have them, but they are nice. And I guess they give you a little more uh, advantage or ability to fish when when the weather turns really bad. You have a little um, heater in them? You do. And actually, I use one of the, one of the little buddy heaters of mine. Um, and it's it's pretty cozy. It's actually a good place to go take a nap. <laughs> set, set your rod down and, and you turn the heater on and, and have your hot chocolate and you can be nice and cozy in there. Um, again, I, I consider some of that luxury items. And again, I, I fish with one, but after the years of ice fishing, you start learning some of the stuff that you like or not like. Um, but it is, uh, it, it's not a necessity, especially if you're getting into it. If I was new to ice fishing, I would, Again, you know, use your, your, some of the gear you're using this summer, like we already talked about. And then I'd look at weather. Um, in New Mexico, we, you mentioned clothing a little bit. There's days where I fished at Lake Malloy or Eagle Nest. You're out there in a t-shirt because it's 50 degrees. Oh, wow. Um, but there's also days when it's, it's minus 20 and the wind's blowing. Um, so you want to dress in layers, obviously. Um, a good pair of waterproof insulated boots like Sorrell's or Buck boots are, are a necessity. Um, you're going to be on the ice. So you want some kind of good insulated boots with, with some good wool or insulated socks. Um, there's uh you want to dress in layers. If you have a pair of like Carhartt bibs or waterproof bibs, those are nice, especially if you're kneeling down, your, your knees are going to get wet. Um, but I would dress in a t-shirt all the way up to, you know, a nice heavy parka because you don't know what the weather's going to be. Um, but if you dress in layers, in the morning, you may go out and it's really cold and you're in your heavy parka and all your insulated gear, but by lunchtime, it may be 50 degrees and you're out there in a t-shirt. So, so dress in layers. And again, if you're new to it, I would, and you don't have an ice shack or ice shanty, I would look at the weather and, and pick when the weather is going to be really nice. Um, and especially if you're taking kids, uh, ice fishing is a great family activity. Um, I have two daughters and they love to ice fish. They're getting a little older and tougher, so I, I'm more willing to take them out when the weather's bad now. Um, but when they're really little, if it was going to be a really windy, cold day, I wouldn't take them because you, you don't want to ruin them. You don't want to take them out there and have have a miserable experience. Sure. Sure. Well, so along those lines, um, you talked about the, the ice shack kind of being a, a luxury item. Are there other um, things that, that, are, that you consider luxury gear that would uh, – make the experience more enjoyable, especially for, for kids? Sure. Yeah. I, you know, some of the other gear that I, that I bring, but I didn't, I didn't have, we, you know, I grew up ice fishing. We didn't have, we were growing up, but I, I use one now as a, as a fish finder, a depth finder. That's really nice. If I'm trying to target, especially yellow perch at Eagle Nest, I'm trying to find those guys. It's nice to have, but not a necessity. Um, things like ice clamps, you know, if there's no snow on the ice, that ice can be, like an ice skating rink, <laughs> it'd be really slick. So a pair of, of ice clamps that you can put on bottom of your shoes are basically like cleats, metal cleats that you can grip the ice. Um, 
And then when I'm taking my kids, if you want them to have a, a, a good, enjoyable day, make sure you bring a lunch and snacks and then hot chocolate is a must. So, um, you know, it, it, and even for yourself, you're going to be out on that ice and it's going to be cold. You're, even if you're not moving around a lot, you're still burning quite a bit of calories. It's so cold. So bringing, bringing a lunch can, can definitely make the day better and, and make, you know, you can last longer on the ice if you bring a lunch and some hot chocolate or hot coffee, that kind of thing. So, so you, you, you mentioned ice clamps there and, and those just, go on your on your shoes and allow you to to walk on the ice better they do yeah there's different types there's some that um that look like a coil there's some that are metal cleat looking but yeah they they clamp on the bottom of your boots usually they have some kind of bungee cord that goes around the top but it just gives you the ability to kind of stick to the ice better so you're not slipping and falling and again if there's snow if there's a layer of snow on the ice it's a lot easier to walk because the snow provides traction and, and grip but if Sometimes if you have a lot of wind with no – and some years we don't get any snow if the snow is – or the ice is, is is real glossy and glass. It's like an ice skating ring, so it makes it tough to walk on. Okay. I, w- I was wondering about that. So if there's if there's snow on the ice, then it's a little easier to walk without, without any special equipment. It is. Yep. Yep. And, and, and some of the other luxury gear um, is, is a sled. The sleds are nice. You can use – Anything from like a kid's, uh, you know, snow sled, they all the way to some of the fancier. They make some deeper sided ice fishing sleds, and those are nice because you can put a lot of your gear in them. I would be cautious about the size. I have a pretty big sled, and the bigger the sled is, the more gear you take and the heavier it is. So, <laughs> so keep that in mind. If I'm starting off, uh, a five gallon bucket is a nice cheap way because you can put a lot of your gear in it. And you can carry it. It can be real mobile. And then it, uh, when you're on your spot, you can actually turn it over, and it makes a great lightweight seat so you don't have to take chairs and stuff. And, I, and I'll still use a five-gallon bucket if I'm going by myself. If it's a nice day, I'm not going to take the ice shelter and that kind of stuff. You could be um, – it's, it's a quick, easy way, and, and it's lightweight, so you can move a lot. You know, if they're, you're in one spot and the fish aren't biting, you need to move. Um, where my ice shelter, once you have it set up, and you have the holes drilled for the whole family. You're fishing. You're you really don't want to move <laughs> once you're there. So, um, so the the five gallon bucket's a nice way to you know nice way to keep all your gear together. And it's a it's a cheap it's a cheap ice fishing tackle box. Well, so you you had mentioned earlier that you wouldn't drive out on the ice, and and now we're talking about using a sled to get your gear out. If is it illegal in new mexico to drive a, a vehicle or an atv or a snowmobile out on the ice can you only walk out or or uh, what what are your options in new mexico so it, it, it depends on on the lake and i i'd advise folks to look if you're going to a lake on the forest service to look at their rules and regulations um the more popular ones we talked about today like eagle nest lake and and um and fitton you'd have to check with the state park it Lake Maloya that you only can walk out on the ice. And I believe it's the same for Fenton Lake. Um, but places like Eagle Nest Lake, when the ice is really safe, the state parks will allow snowmobiles and ATVs, um, that are wow. registered with the state to, to, to drive out. So when the ice is, is thick enough, um, and, and I don't use one, I don't, um, but a lot of folks do. And it's a good way, especially at a place like Eagle Nest Lake, which is a large lake. If you want to go all the way across the lake, it's a long walk. So, um, but again, I, I would check with the different land agencies to make sure you're not violating those. Most of them you can only walk on. And I believe Eagle Nest is the only one that you're allowed to, to drive an ATV. And that's only when they open, when State Parks opens it to that. Wow. I, I don't know if I'd be that brave. No, it, it, I think it's, uh, if it's really thick, it's probably okay. Um, when, we grew up ice fishing on Eagle Nest, and um, years ago, people would drive trucks out on there, <laughs> and I thought they were crazy. <laughs> but places like Minnesota, there there's county roads that don't exist in the summertime because the lake thaws out. So they actually have county roads that they plow that vehicles drive. You know, you can you can drive across the lake on a on a regular motor vehicle on a county road. On a county road, yeah, wow. that doesn't that the county plows during the during the winter time. <laughs> wow, well, well, so kind of along those lines, what are um, 
I guess some some safety precautions or or advice since it is a frozen lake that you're walking out on. Sure. So I mean, uh, one of the things is a little bit about the safety gear. Um, whenever they make different um, uh, spikes that you like, hand spikes that you can use in case you fall through the ice. Obviously, when you fall through the ice, you're not going to have any way to grip the ice because it's slick and pull yourself out. Um, but they make uh, they make hand spikes that actually uh, that you can that are connected with a string, so you can run all the way through your coat like you did when you were a kid with your mittens, where you have a string connecting all the way through your your sleeves of your coat. Okay. Um, but they're basically what they are, just a, like a plastic handle, and then inside of them is, is a, a metal spike. And if you fall in, you can actually stick that or stab that in the ice and pull yourself out. I usually carry a, a set of those in my pockets. You can even carry like a, a couple landscaping nails. You know, some of those larger nails are, are good. Something like that is nice to have. Um, when you're on the ice, obviously, we talked a little bit about the ice safety, the thickness. But you can have thick ice and you can have some heat on it and you can actually get the lake can get really slushy and get water on top of it. <clears throat> if you start seeing stuff like that, I would get off the ice, obviously. <laughs> but probably the, the most important thing is is don't go by yourself. Um, I would recommend going with somebody. Um, it's probably the best thing you can do. Okay. Um, the When you're out on the lake, you're going to hear a lot of cracking and shifting. And actually, if you're hearing that, it's kind of scary. You'll be at an eagle nest, especially on a warm day, you'll start cracking and it's kind of scary, but cracking ice is good ice because it means it's nice thick ice, and it's it's those when it's cracking like that, it, it's actually really good strong solid ice. Um, but obviously, if, you, if you're walking out on the ice and and you're hearing more cracks right underneath your feet, I would probably get off of the ice. Yeah. Um, and, and they say if you're if you're starting to crack through the ice, is is actually to get down to spread your weight out. It's almost lay down. Um, versus having all your weight on your feet in, in one spot. Okay. But the most important part, I think, is is don't go by yourself. I, there's been a, you know, some of the the tragedies that have happened is people will go by themselves, and you know, if you a lot of times you fall through, you're you're obviously you're in the water. It's going to be cold. You have to worry about hyperthermia, but you're 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 not going to sink. You know, you're you're going to be up on the ice, but if you're by yourself, you can't pull yourself out or you have somebody to go call for help and you're stuck in there, you're going to get hyperthermia pretty quick. Where if you have a buddy with you, they can even go call for help or try to get a rope or something to you to help pull you out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's good. A good thing to, to keep in mind that, that you do need to be aware of, of the ice and your surroundings and, and uh, that you should go with, with other people. It sounds like it'd be a fun, fun uh, social time anyway. It is, and it, 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 and like I said earlier, it, it's one of the, it's a great family uh, activity, and, and especially the time of year when there's not a lot going on. I always look forward to ice fishing, um, it, just because there's you know we haven't been able to get on out on the lake in a while, just because everything's cold and frozen, and and the kiddos are usually out on winter break, and it's it's a great winter activity. So along those lines of getting ready to, to go out with your family and, and try ice fishing, it sounds like there are specific regulations um, for different waters depending on the management agency. Um, are there any other, I guess, special license requirements or anything um, to, to start ice fishing? There's not other than the you have to have a Mexico fishing license, obviously. Um, and then there are, you know, at, at I'd advise folks to look at the daily bag limits. You know, for most of these waters, trout is what you're going after, and the daily bag limit is in most of these waters are going to be five fish per day. Um, if you're fishing for in a place like Eagle Nest that has yellow perch, the yellow perch daily bag limit is 30. And then for northern pike, if you catch northern pike, it's we're trying to manage against those guys um, since they're legally introduced. So it's unlimited harvest, and actually, if you catch one, you have to harvest it. So there are a uh, a few different regulations, but mainly just look at the bag limits. Again, most of these are going to be trout, so it's going to be five fish per day. Okay. Um, if you're going to the state park, um, they'll have a uh, a day use that you'll have to pay. So keep that in mind when you're when you're going to the different state parks. Okay. 
All right. Well, sounds good. So we've we've got our license. We've got our basic equipment. We're safe on the ice and we're going out and we've got a spot. So if we show up, we figure out our spot. Now what? Are you are you um, drilling multiple holes in the ice? Or are you just starting with one hole? What, what's your what's your approach? So I usually if uh, you know if I'm there with a the family, I'll, I'll start by drilling. <clears throat> drilling four holes depends how thick the ice is with my hand auger. Um, but I'll, I'll start with giving everybody a, a, a hole to fish in. And a lot of times, like I said, we're, we're after perch and in New Mexico, if you have a second rod stamp, you can actually fish with two rods. Um, so if I'm there with myself and another person, I may drill a couple holes for myself and a couple for them. But with a family, I usually drill everybody a hole because usually with the fishing's good, you can't, you can't keep two rods going because they're, um, one is enough to keep after, especially with the family and the kids. You're always helping them. So, um, so I usually start with those. You obviously use an ice scoop, which is looks like a, a ladle with holes, um, and you scoop all the ice chips out. And if I'm if I'm fishing for trout, um, I'll, I'll usually either use the ice fishing jig with some kind of bait on it, like a you know salmon egg or or power bait or something like that. And I, I usually like starting at the bottom. So I'll, I'll drop the, the jig or bait all the way to the bottom um, and then work my way up. A lot of times the perch are going to, the old perch going to be right on the bottom within a foot or two of the bottom. So when you're fishing with those guys, fish on the bottom. The same thing with trout. You can start in the bottom. If you have a fish finder, you'll start seeing where the, there may be some fish higher up in the water column so you can move up to those guys. But I'll start on the bottom if I don't have a fish finder. And, and if I'm not having any luck, I may bring it up. You know, if you're fishing 20 foot of water, I may bring it up to 15 feet and then 10 feet and then five feet, try different depths. So another thing, don't be afraid to, to jig the bait. You know, if you're sitting there, you're sitting on a bucket anyway, a lot of times you, you can actively fish and, and jig the bait really small and a lot of times it'll attract the fish. Okay, so that, that was my next question. So it sounds like if you have that second rod, well, that rod's sitting there still. So how, how much the rod that you have in your hand, how, how often are you jigging that? It, it, it's pretty minor movements. I mean, you're, you're jigging it with a couple, couple inches to three or four inches. You're not, you're not power jigging, you know, six or eight feet, the length of the rod. You're just kind of just moving a little bit. If you're fishing for perch, it doesn't take much. You just, and with the perch, I'm always jigging the rod because they like that movement. They like the light bait. Okay. <clears throat> a lot of times trout will eat something when it's, when stank staying still so you'll jig it i'll jig it a few times and stop in that pause a lot of times the trout will eat it during the pause okay okay and then um so if you're not successful at your first spot well two questions here so in your spot how far apart are you putting these holes and then um do you ever get up and change locations and say this spot's not good enough i'm i'm gonna go use my hand auger again. <laughs> I, I do. Yeah. So a lot of times I'll, what I'll do, if, if, if it's the family, if there's four of us fishing, I'll actually drill holes that are in different depths. So within a reason, you know, I'm obviously not going to spread this out a quarter mile, but, you know, I may spread the holes out 20 or 30 feet and start one in a, in a perpendicular fashion to the shore. And I may drill one that's, you know, a little shallower than, and then, in sequence all the way out to deeper water. And a lot of times you'll find, Oh man, the one that's closer to shore, we're really, that, that rod's had bites all day. And what, a, you know, use that what you learn and you'll move the other rods in and, and drill holes in that, that same depth or that same area. If I'm in the ice shanty, the rod, the holes are, you know, four or five feet apart. Cause you're in that, that little tent or that little hut. But if we're not using it, I'll spread the rods out in an area, you know, that's, probably 30 to 50 feet in an area to try different areas. But if I'm there and I'm not catching fish after an hour or two, it, it's time to move. I, I like to move. I like to change things. And that's the thing with, with about any kind of type of fishing. Um, I guess I get a little impatient. <laughs> it can be good and bad, but if I'm not getting any bites, I, you, you need to change something. You need to change baits. You need to change locations. Um, and like I said earlier in our conversation, Places in these state parks that you're going to, there, there's going to be people fishing. They're, they're popular. Don't be afraid to look around and don't be afraid to ask, ask folks. Um, some anglers are typical 
fishermen and they're going to lie to you, but a lot, you'll find a lot of folks are friendly and, and not afraid to share information. And again, look around. If you're fishing an area and you're really close to shore and there's other people close to shore and you haven't seen anybody catch a fish around you, something's going on. But the people that are out, you know, 200 yards from me is like those, those folks out there really catching them. But I think it's time to move. Maybe you won't encroach right on them, but maybe try to find that, that similar depth they're at just to try something different. Along those lines of ice fishing in general, and I know it, it, it would fluctuate year to year on this on the, uh, the weather conditions, but what is your typical ice fishing season every year? So it you know it's changed obviously with some of the weather patterns changing and um, but typically the last several years, uh, if we have a really cold winter and this one's turned out to be a fairly cold winter so far, uh, generally right after the first of year, um, places like Eagle Nest and Fenton Lake and Lake Malloy, the ice is thick enough to start fishing. Um, and it, on a good, good cold winter, it'll run till, uh, you know, into March, sometimes into April if it's really cold, but generally through middle March. So you have about, about two and a half months of good fit ice fishing. Um, some years we've had really warm winters where, where we didn't open up ice fishing or state parks didn't open up ice fishing at all just because ice wasn't safe. Wow. Um, but, and there's been some years it's only open for a week or two, but generally speaking, it's January through early to mid March is, is kind of our general ice fishing season in New Mexico. Okay. Some years it opens up before, uh, the, the holidays, but, but generally speaking, it's, it's after the first year when it, when the ice gets thick enough and it's safe to, to open it up. Well, man, you've really got me excited. I, I really want to go now. Yeah. It, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's addicting. Um, like I said, it's just, it's that, that time you're when nothing's going on and, and, uh, it, you know, it, I think it's like a lot of those winter activities. It's, it's cold. Sometimes your fingers hurt, but, and, uh, then when you come back home and the next thing you wish you were back out there fishing again, <laughs> fishing again so. Well, I think you've given us a lot to think about, especially for first time ice fishermen it hopefully will will help people realize they don't need all the fancy gear and and to, just to try it out yeah exactly and and like i said earlier in conversation if if you're intimidated by it um you know like a lot of the the hunting or fishing activities if you can find a friend that's done it that's that's a great way to to get into it but yeah i'd encourage folks to go out it's, it's a lot of fun and and it is addicting well awesome i i, I think we're about out of time for today but again thanks for taking the time to to join us not only talk about ice fishing but also to tell us about the sport fish program and what all you have going on i think that's really impressive especially with 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 10 people to get all that done yeah thanks james and i always enjoy talking about fishing well thanks and and thank you all for uh tuning in today be sure and check out our other podcasts and new mexico wildlife digital magazines and the monthly newsletters and get outside, try ice fishing, and enjoy all the various outdoor recreation opportunities that New Mexico has to offer. See you next time.